You're listening to the weekly podcast of the services at Stonegate Fellowship Church in Midland, Texas. For more information about Stonegate, visit StonegateFellowship.com. All right, good morning, gentlemen. Thanks for being here today. Before we get started, let me say a, uh, just a word of thank you uh, to those of you who might have been praying for me this past week. I was in Romania, so uh, if you prayed and, and lifted us up on that trip, I want to thank you for that. That's um, being responsible uh, with the partnership that's been entrusted to us to be uh, men and people, Christ followers who uh, think bigger, who think about the work of God's kingdom and how it is uh, a worldwide event. It's just not inside of our our circles of life that that we live in. So if you were a part of that, thank you for for praying. Uh, We had a great trip. It was just a trip to go meet with leadership and talk about our partnership that this church has with uh, a young church and uh, really they're about 10 years old in a city of about 450,000 people. It's the largest church in that city and they run about 45 on a Sunday. Uh, in the midst of 450,000 people, there are only six evangelical churches. This is a Baptist church. It's one of the six accepted cult groups in Romania because it is not a Greek Orthodox church, which is the, the nation's uh, religion of choice, if you will. So these followers of Christ uh, that live there in Craiova, in the southern part of Romania, it's a very poor region of the country, very dark region of the country. They're fighting the good fight. And so I would just encourage you to continue uh, to pray for them. Uh, Doru is the pastor and uh, he's the lone staff person there. He's got a, a lady that's volunteering, that's working with the children, doing a great job. Uh, Janina and then Seraphim, his brother, is actually working with college students uh, there in Romania. There are 40,000 college students in this city. And I would say probably less than 200 of those would profess Christ. So the challenge is great. And uh, they face the, they face challenges that... We just simply don't face in this country. Uh, for example, uh, we're trying to help them find a place to land, to, to be a church, and to be in a building. They're in a building now, but uh, rent is, is out of sight and untouchable for them. But when they go to the bank, and once they find out that they are Christians, uh, they are immediately disqualified for any type of loan or assistance because they're followers of Christ. Uh, they found other places to have church, on Sundays, but as soon as that place finds out that they're Christians, the theaters shut the doors and uh, the people that would normally rent to any other uh, group that wanted to meet simply because they were being paid for the facility, these guys are turned down because they're followers of Christ. Uh, It's an amazing scenario there. The church system, uh, the Greek Orthodox system, especially in the southern part of Romania, is very dark. Uh, It's mixed with... uh, a weird sense of spirituality and witchcraft. Um, people from the city there can take their neighbors in to the priests and pay the priests off so that the priests will cast spells on their neighbors so that they will have uh, bad luck, so to speak. Or It's an amazing spiritual environment. Uh, the reality is most of the world's like that. And, and what you and I live in here and have the opportunity to live in here in America, I think it's a bubble. I think it's going to go away one day. But you and I have a responsibility, not only here but there, to be thinking about the kingdom work and, and what God's doing 
around the world. So thank you. Thank you for praying, and I just ask you to continue to do that if you are a person of prayer. Let's pray, and we'll get started again. Father, thank you so much for today, and I thank you that uh, you're working, and you're doing things that uh, we, don't, we don't see and we don't know about, but the, the beauty of that is that when we have the right stance in life, uh, you choose to include us in what you're doing. You open up our eyes to it, and you, you put a passion and a, a burning inside of our hearts, a desire to, to chase after those things that you put in front of us. And so, Father, I just pray you'd keep doing that. I pray that we would uh, take seriously uh, every day and every opportunity and that we would uh, choose a stance in life that is one of, of humility and uh, openness to your will and your call in our lives, uh, that we might uh, be servants of yours and that you might choose to include us in things that are bigger than ourselves. So, Father, as we begin this morning, I, I just want to take a moment to pray for uh, Prodeo, the church there in Romania, and I pray that you would continue to uh, use your servants there in a great and powerful way, that they would uh, not be uh, fearful in any way of the oppression that they feel and the persecution that they experience as Christians, but that you would encourage them and embolden them to speak even more uh, loudly the, the, the message of your gospel uh, to that city and help us dream even to uh, how to send them to, uh, to neighboring cities and also to neighboring countries to tell about the gospel there. Father, help us this morning to connect with you in a way that changes our lives. Help us to be sensitive to the work and move of your spirit in our lives this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, gentlemen, I want to tell you, when I started talking to you in Philippians a few weeks ago, uh, I mentioned that we probably would not make it out of chapter 1. That's becoming a reality uh, it's not wasn't my goal to teach you guys the the letter or the book of Philippians. Really, my goal is for us to focus on one thought together, and we've been doing that. What does it mean to be a partner in the gospel? So this morning, what I want to do is just take take a few moments to look at where we've been, so that we can add just one more step in this process of thinking about what does it mean for you and for me to be a partner in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we talked about a few things together. The first week we talked about just this idea of partnership in the gospel. And, you know, Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 5 that God has included us in this partnership of the gospel from the first day until now. And that he began a good work in us. He's working that out and he's going to bring that work in us to completion and I love the beautiful expression of, of partnership that we, that's captured in this Greek word here in this, this verse, koinonia. And if you've been in church a, a, a long enough or a long time, you've heard this word koinonia. A lot of times it's, uh, it's, it's used to build this idea of warm, fuzzy environment. Uh, let's gather together and experience koinonia together. And Paul uses it in, in a radically different way in the text here. It is about coming together. It is about experiencing God together as a, as a community. But he uses it in a way and puts this twist on it that makes it so much more practical. And he's, he's, he's painting the picture of this idea of what does real partnership look like? Gentlemen, it's, it's got to. The gospel has got to practically work itself out in our lives 
or it becomes a selfish commodity that is only about eternal security. Think about that. What is the gospel to us? It's the story that you and I can be in a relationship with God. It's the story that he frees us from something we cannot free ourselves from. Our sinful nature that leads us to sin, that keeps us under the reign of death in our life, that ultimately leads to a separation from God. We call that place hell because that's what Jesus called it in the Bible. But the reality is, is that existing in hell is not, is not the, the bad part of the deal. Suffering forever in an eternal lake of fire is not the bad part of the deal. The bad part of the deal is being separated from God. Because he is our only hope. And he is the only means to us being satisfied now and forever. And so this has to practically work itself out in our lives every single moment of every single day because lives are at stake. Relationships are at stake. Not just people's eternal destiny. And if I could somehow, I can't give you the pill to stop thinking like that, but if you think like that, somehow you've got you've to work on that. It's not just about people going to hell. It's about people missing what God offers. And if you've received that offer, you know the importance of others receiving that as well. I usually don't like to state things in the negative, but I couldn't figure out how to get around it on this statement. So bear with me. If the gospel is not being practically expressed in a way that is clear to the onlooking culture, then we are not telling God's story. It's as simple as that. If the gospel isn't being expressed in, in and through your life in a way that makes sense to the people that are working around you when you go to work today, then you're not telling the story of God. Somehow he's educated you and he's gifted you and he's shaped you to do what you're going to do when you leave here today. He did that so that you could tell the story. There is no separation between secular and sacred. It's not, this is my job that I do for a living to put bread on the table, and this is what I do in my, my time carved out to be a spiritual person. God didn't create that way. He created everything, and everything according to the scripture is under him, it's by him, it's through him, and it's for him. It's all sacred, it's all spiritual. So whatever you do today, he's, he's, he's setting up the platform for you to practically express the gospel, to tell the story. And I put this statement at the end of, of that idea is that if we're not telling God's story, there's only one other option. We're telling our own story. And the reality is our own story, except for the fact that God has changed us, is meaningless. It's meaningless. Hmm. All right, I'm going to walk into some dangerous territory here. We just celebrated... Mandela's birthday, death. We, we celebrate civil rights movements. We, we celebrate all kinds of things that have social impact. 
But if those things don't serve to tell the gospel story, they'll pass away. And so what God wants to do in and through our lives is tell the gospel story. And we can do a lot of great things that seem meaningful, but if they aren't pressing into the idea of practically letting people see how Jesus has changed our lives, those things are meaningless and they'll pass away. They're our own story. Someday, believe it or not, people are going to forget about Martin Luther King. They're going to forget about Mandela. They're going to forget about these people that did things in the past. As a matter of fact, their history will be rewritten at some point to fit someone else's story. It's what we see, right? The only lasting thing that you and I can do today is practically express the gospel. So the question here, and this is kind of coming into a conclusion of our review time, are we living confidently? in such a way that demonstrates our understanding of the reality that we're a partner in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to give you what I've called a daily checkup. I wrote this for me, but I'm sharing it with you. I ask myself these questions. Am I today, is Scott Hall today, living confidently in such a way that I feel good about my ability through the Holy Spirit working in and through my life, I feel good about my ability to confidently express the gospel? If not, what do I need to change? What do I need to do? What do I need to pursue? Who do I need to talk to? What do I need to do to enhance my confidence? Let me pose this question to you. If you're not living confidently in who you are in Christ right now, the reality is you're not telling the story in the way you could be telling the story. Why? Why are you not confident? Sometimes sometimes we're not confident because we're distracted. I talk to my son all the time. He's 15 years old. He just passed me up. He's got about an inch on me now, so he's loving that. Looking down on his dad. My son's a good athlete. Baseball is his sport, but he's playing basketball right now because I want him in sports year-round, and it's good just to, to continue to learn the diversity of different disciplines in the sports. But he's not confident. When he's in warm-up and all the boom, all that music's playing, you know, man, he looks like Jordan going to the hoop. I mean, he's doing all this behind the back, through his legs, just, I mean, he just soars through the air, lays the ball up, nice, soft touch. Came home, you know, I just got in from Romania. I was laying in bed with my son last night, just catching up. I said, how did basketball practice go? How'd your scrimmage go? And he goes, well, it's all right. No confidence. I said, well, did you shoot the ball at all? No. They don't see me as a shooter. You know what? He can shoot the rock, but he's not confident because he's distracted. He can dribble like crazy, but when he gets on the courts and begins to think about everything going on around him, he loses sight of his own ability. What what could be or what is distracting you in your life right now that's keeping you from confidently telling the story? Then I ask myself the question, am I demonstrating the understanding of what God's done in me? Am I, am I demonstrating my understanding of the story? The, God did not come and free me from my sinful nature to modify my behavior. He didn't come and free me from my sins so that I can stop using certain words in front of people. 
um, he, he didn't come and, and save me so that, um, so I could wear, start, start wearing Christian clothing and just listen to Christian music. What I'm getting after here is, is when we demonstrate an understanding of what God's done in us, it, it radically shapes, no, it, it radically changes how we live life with people. And it becomes about living life for them. Philippians chapter two, that we're humbled like Christ. We consider ourselves lower than others. We begin to press into others' lives. We care about them. We love them. We see them as potentially people that could be in a relationship with God. It's about that kind of of demonstration of understanding rather than thinking it's just about me somehow trying to change my behavior in front of people so they'll see me as a Christian. Does that make sense? I'm having a hard time getting out what I'm thinking here. Does that make sense? It's not about us just looking differently and looking like we've been changed. It's living in that reality in such a way that it begins to change other people. All right, I'm gonna leave it at that because I I just can't get it out. So the, the third question I ask myself is, do I understand the reality? Today's reality Let's take a block. Let's take up until lunchtime, the reality that up until lunchtime today, because that may be all I have and it may be all you have. Understanding and demonstrating that I I get the reality that today's my day to make much of God, then I take serious the moments I have up until lunch to demonstrate the gospel in our life. You see, where we blow it as followers of Christ is we think about the future reality of what we're going to do later for the gospel and for the kingdom and we forfeit what God has right in front of our face right now. Sounds something like this. When I finish this project, then I'm gonna have more time to focus on the gospel and telling the story. When I finish all the busyness of getting my kids to all of these events and all the sporting events and the the boards that we serve on, all the stuff that we do. When I finish this, because this is my responsibility now, this is my reality now and it takes all of my time. So when I finish this, then the reality will be for me in the future that I will do well to tell the story of Christ. I've heard people say, when I retire, when I retire, I'm gonna really drill in and make much of the gospel in my life. I'll go and do whatever God wants me to do at that time because I'm I'm gonna have a lot of time uh, when I retire to do that. A demonstration of understanding this text means that we know today's our reality. Today, we've gotta live for Christ. Today, we've gotta tell the story because we're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised one o'clock And so then I ask, am I, you know, am I taking seriously this idea of being a partner in the gospel? When we meet with, uh, with our elder body here at Stonegate, it's the second and fourth Monday night, we are asked accountability questions like, uh, have you been with a woman that your wife doesn't know about in a way that's 
compromising since the last time we met? Have you exposed yourself to sexually explicit material that would lead yourself to to lust since the last time we left? Have you dealt well with your finances and are you, you know, giving your finances unto the Lord? Are you dealing with those in a godly way since the last time we left? And then we get down to this question at the end that says, um, are you fulfilling the mandate of your call? And, and you know, there, there are two or three guys in there that, that work on church staff. The rest are, and some of you are sitting in this room, men just like you that are businessmen. And, and that question, uh, are you fulfilling the mandate of your call? Wrapped up in the heart of that is the idea of the partnership in the gospel. Are you at work telling the story? And are you fulfilling this idea of the partnership? You know, for about three months in my life, even this, this last Monday night, uh, I wrestle with that question even, my, in, even in my own life. I wonder, I wonder sometimes if working in a church hinders me from telling the gospel story. I mean, I mostly work with Christians around here, um, but I, it's... I wonder sometimes it would be better off for me to be out in the, you, either that was a terrible joke or you guys missed it. Um, I, <laughs> yeah, it was a terrible joke, wasn't it? <clears throat> or you knew it was true, one or the other. So anyway, I, I wonder sometimes if, if it would be better off for me to set aside the 25 years that I've been on staff in a church and go out and do something else so that I can tell the story. I wrestle with that. All I'm asking for you to do is, is wrestle with that as well. All right, I'm going to fly through this. Um, Otherwise, we're not going to add anything to what we've talked about so far. If if I could spend the rest of the time talking about this again, I would, but I'm not. The question is, are we living with purpose? Are we living on purpose? And I I set aside these categories for you guys a couple of weeks ago to say that in the marketplace where you do life, as a leader, how this fleshes out is your life is an invitation. You're an inviter. Uh, It doesn't have to be a spiritual conversation because when Jesus invited people in his marketplace, he did not use spiritual conversations right off the bat. He just loved people. He walked with people. The church hated him for that. They tried to stone him and kill him. But because of it, he had a crowd of people that started following him, wanting to know more about what he was, what he was talking about and what he was about, what his life was, a, was about. And so he was the living example in front of them. I hope you've been thinking about your crowd. And if you missed a couple of weeks ago and you're here today, I'll just say it this way in, in summary. The reality is, is that if you do the first, if you live an inviting kind of life in the marketplace that says there's something more about me than meets the eye, it's Jesus, a crowd will follow you. A crowd will start forming around you, but you have to be spiritually intuitive enough, checked in enough to see that you've got a crowd so that you can begin to speak into them in the right way. When you do that, you'll have a, a group of people around you that are discovering the truth. And this is where you begin to teach spiritual things into their, their lives. And all of a sudden, you've got disciples. Ask yourself the question, who are my disciples? Who do you have around you right now that you are on purpose engaging them, discipling them, working them along, 
If you don't have disciples, it begs the question, if, are you telling the story? If you're telling the story, then people are going to be attracted to you. I've said this to you twice already. I'll say it to you again. It's the same reason your wife loves you. Because she sees Jesus in you. That's the only thing she can hold on to. All the other stuff's going to pass away and it's meaningless. The same thing is true with people around you. Your, your crowd, they become disciples when they are attracted to the Jesus in you, who are you discipling? If you're not, if you've never, if you've never gotten two other men and said, you know what? Let's get together at five in the morning or six in the morning or something like that, one day a week. Let's get together, put a time limit on it. Let's let's do it for 15 weeks. Let's start with 15 weeks. And let's get together, the three of us, and let's work through this together. You can decide what that is. I can give you some suggestions. I have a book I always start with. It's called The Pursuit of Holiness. I'm getting ready to start in January with a new group of guys that I'm going to sit down with and walk with like this. You should at all times. There's a couple of times you could, you could take a season of, of a break, but you should be discipling and walking with people in that manner. It's your responsibility making disciples. And that's when you begin to coach into these guys' lives. So then, when you do that, you're not only a person that understands and begins to understand this practical working out of the gospel in your life, you begin to mobilize other people to do the same thing. And that's what the partnership is all about. So today, as we kind of add a new thought to this, here's the question that's going to set it up. How do we prepare our heart and our mind for this kind of on-purpose living each day? So all the stuff we just, just talked about, okay, that sounds great. Yeah, I want to do that. But the question is, how do we do that? How do we get prepared for that type of living? Well, take a look in your scripture. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. After Paul talks about the partnership and the introductory remarks and kind of his setup in uh, chapter 1 there, in verse 9 he says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So here's the reality. How does this work itself out in our lives? Paul says it right here, and he actually means it so much that he makes it a prayer. He's asking God to bring these attributes into this idea of the partnership for his his readership here in, in Philippians. And so I would say to us the same thing. How do we express this? It starts with love in our life. Love more. Paul said, I pray that love will abound in your life. And the reality is this. Because God loved us, we should love other people. Okay, don't check out on me. Some of this sounds so simple that we go, oh, yeah, got that. Got that, I heard it. You know, yeah, because God loves, we should love others. Got it. Check. Let's go on. But what does that look like, gentlemen? What does it look like for you to demonstrate the reality of the partnership in your life so that you love others in such a way that attracts them to the Jesus in you. Romans chapter five, verse five says, the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. The reality is you and I have experienced the love of God because he has poured it out on us. 
that is a picture of what we see in the Old Testament and the New Testament. When, when something was an offering, it was, it was poured out. And so the idea here is that our lives are to be an offering to the people that don't know Christ and, and our lives should be poured out upon them in the same way that Christ poured out his life for us. We've got to demonstrate love in that kind of way. <clears throat> Romans chapter five, verse eight, but God shows his love for us and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies of God, and I put this in the parenthetical note here, God came after us. While we were still enemies of God, God came after us. While we were yucky, pathetic sinners, not fit for a relationship with God, he came after us. So what does this look like for us? If we're supposed to love other people, we cannot expect people to get it right before we choose to love them. What does it mean for us to demonstrate the idea that we get this partnership? We love other people regardless of what condition they're in, how they treat us, how they have treated us, but that we go after them even if we consider them an enemy. We can't expect people to get it right to choose before we choose to love them. Process that, think about that. What if God had waited for you and for me to get things right before he had accepted us? He never would have accepted us. He couldn't because of the sin in our lives. You can't wait for people to do the things that you need them to do so that you feel warm and fuzzy about the relationship before you go after them. If you've got an enemy in the office, you've got to figure out how to love them and demonstrate the gospel to them. Most of or some of you in this room, you're the boss. Some of you in this room, you've got the boss that, I mean, you pray every day that God would either kill him or move him. Somehow you've got to figure out how to love that guy. Somehow you've got to figure out how to tell a story. People are not going to remember your accomplishments. This is the idea of what does it look like to, to, to leave a legacy of love. And, and I thought of it this way. People are not going to remember your accomplishments. They will remember if they were loved. I told you it was either the first or second week that I got a book stirring inside of me that, um, that I don't know if I can ever put on a Christian shelf. I don't know, it might sell. You guys remember the title? The title, yes. It's, uh, you, you don't have to be, I, I don't know how I'm gonna do this. You don't have to be a picture of a donkey's rear end to be a leader. You don't have to, you know, I made the joke about my, my kids when, uh, and I did this in Romania last week too. There was a donkey out in the field and I was riding with my Romanian friends and we've been friends for a long time so I figured I could pull this joke on them and I went out and I, I, I looked out the side and it's snowing. I said, well, look at that jackass out in the snow. And he looked over and there's a donkey out in the field, right? And I pull that joke with my kids all the time. It's funny, we laugh every time. The reality is we, we don't have to have the world's mindset of, of leading and, and accomplishing and, and getting things done to be, to be successful. Am I saying don't lead? No, I'm saying lead the way Jesus leads. Jesus did not lead by using other people to get the task done. 
Jesus used the task. Oh, this is good. I've never thought of it this way. Jesus used the task to lead people to get the loving done. Do you see the switch? So often in the marketplace, if we're not careful, it's about the task, it's about the project, it's about getting that done. And if we're not careful, we'll be a jackass and use the people to get that task done, all the while destroying the story of the gospel. But somehow we've got to learn to lead, to bring those people along because those people, even though they're helping you get the task done, they're in one of those categories. They're either in the culture, in the marketplace, they're, uh, they're in the crowd, they're following you, um, you're beginning to teach into their lives, or, or they're your disciple, or you're beginning to mobilize them. But those people they're using to get what you're supposed to get done, they're your responsibility to love along the way. That's the gospel. So lead well along the way, but love while you're doing that. And you just gotta, you gotta figure out how to do that. Guys, that's hard. That's why I said don't brush this off. It's not that simple. I mean, the, the, the situation I described, you, you throw the stress of, of money and timeline and uh, promotions, everything that's at stake for you bringing those people alongside of you, you've somehow, as the leader, you've got you've to allow God to place all of that stuff categorically right inside of you so that it do, doesn't become a ticking time bomb to destroy the, 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 the life and the message of the gospel to the people that you're leading. That was very wordy, but I hope you got that. It's hard when you're trying to love and lead in that way, when you have timeline and, and stress and, and, and the project deadline and capital is at stake. Maybe your promotion is at stake. Maybe the bonus is at stake. So by God, I gotta get this done. But somehow you gotta love those people along the way and paint a clear picture of the gospel while you're doing that. That's hard, but that's what you and I have been called to do. Lead well and understand God has placed you where he's placed you to tell the gospel story. You gotta figure out how to do that in love along the way and I gotta speed up. Love should be the central element of your life, period. Scripture, 1 John 4, 8 says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. If, if love is not the central theme of your life right now as you're leading you better question it. You better question yourself. You need to sit down with God and ask why. Why isn't love, God? How can you show me how to love as I, I lead? It should be the central theme of our lives. We should be people who are characterized by love because God himself is characterized by love. Here's the reality. You're telling the story because the story is in you. You're, we're, we're talking about getting something out of us that's in us. It's the story that God wants to take residence in our, in our bodies. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. He chooses to dwell there and he wants to, to live through us in the power of his glorious might, Colossians chapter one, nine through 14. And he wants to do great and powerful things in our lives. But if we're not characterized by that, we're missing it. And we gotta call that into question. We gotta ask, why? Why? So when we love as God loves, it demonstrates that we understand the partnership in the gospel. The second thing that Paul talks about here is having love undergirded with knowledge and discernment. 
Love should be undergirded by knowledge and discernment. He prays and asks for that because blind love can be dangerous. If love is not undergirded with, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, as Paul again prays for in Colossians uh, chapter 1 and verse 9 and here in Philippians as well, if love is not undergirded by spiritual wisdom and understanding and discernment, then we can fall in love with things that we shouldn't fall in love with. In this context, we should apply what we know about God in a very concrete manner through various means among varying circumstances. That's pretty wordy. All that means is is that you and I have got to figure out how to apply love with the people that God's placed around us, your crowd, your disciples. Sometimes love is meant to encourage. Sometimes love is meant to spur other people along. I, uh, the little apartment that I stayed in in Romania last week, um, right inside the, the, the door was a, a goad. Do you know what a goad is? A goad is a, a stick that you, you take the end of it and you make it into a sharp point like a, like a spear. And it's used, uh, it was usually used in plowing so that if the animal wasn't doing what it was supposed to be doing, you couldn't leave the plow because the animal might leave you and run off with the plow. So you'd take that long stick and jab them in their backside. And you would prod them along, you would spur them along to stay the course and to keep pulling. And sometimes that's what love is. I'm just saying love isn't always this soft, warm, and fuzzy thing. In fact, love should sometimes be applied in a way that holds us accountable. We call that tough love. It's stepping into somebody's life and saying the right thing because the gospel is at stake. You have every right in this room with any man in this room and any other person that calls himself a follower of Christ, you have every right to step into their life when you see something that doesn't match up with the gospel in love because the reality is, is today is at stake so we, we have the right to step into people's lives and say, look, man, I, I've been seeing this or I've been hearing this or I, I saw this and we just, we have the right to step in not as if we've got it all right, but that we're in this together and say, hey, let's, let's just sit down and talk about this. How can we help each other to paint a better picture of who Christ is in our life the next time we face that circumstance? That's what love is. And so the idea is that as you're doing life, you should make critical judgments about everyday life and circumstances and learn how to apply love appropriately there. Now, this, this sentence you're just going to have to wrestle with. I don't have time to unpack it like I would like to. But suffice it to say that love informs knowledge and discernment, not the other way around. Just chew on that one for a couple of weeks. Love informs knowledge and discernment, not the other way around. I'll say one thing about that to start the wrestle in your mind. Sometimes we can use what we think is knowledge and discernment to write people off. Paul's praying for godly knowledge and discernment. He's praying for spiritual understanding that would drive love through our lives into the lives of others. But what we've grown accustomed to doing in our churches is thinking that we have knowledge and discernment and we use that against people to write them off and say, oh, they'll never change. So we throw love out the window. We write people off and say, God would never save them. They're too far gone. They'll never accept what I have to share with them. And so sometimes it even becomes a cop-out, right? 
We think knowledge and discernment has led us to understand that I can't talk to you about Christ because I think through my understanding that you're not going to receive him. So we choose not to love that person and we just know that's who they are. We're just going to write them off. It's interesting. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I know people that do that because people have tattoos. Oh my God. Because, because they got a piercing. Oh man, they're never gonna. Yeah, I mean, they just, knowledge and discernment that they think is from God, but it's from the enemy, causes them not to love and pursue them with the gospel. We gotta be careful. Love informs knowledge and discernment. You can enjoy that one on your own. Number three, Paul prays for this. When you love God and others, strengthened by knowledge and discernment, you can live a pure and blameless life. I love the way this unpacks. Take a look at this. When we, when we think about living a pure and blameless life, we, we tend to, to think about ourselves and, and the struggles that we have that, that keep us maybe from being the person that we think God wants us to be in all of that. We think pure and blameless, that, that Paul's asking um, to help me, help me be better, to help me get over my struggles. But he's, he's praying this with other people in mind. What does it mean for you to live a pure and blameless life so that other people will see the true story of of God in your life? So that other people will see the, the gospel fleshed out in your life. What does it mean to live a pure and blameless life? Well, pure means to live without a hidden agenda. It means to live for God or not, not self or man. So when Paul's saying, look, I pray that, I pray that love will abound and I pray that you'll be filled with knowledge and, and wisdom and discernment so that you can approve what is excellent and by doing so that you'll live a pure and blameless life. He's taking this a step further. What does it mean to embrace the partnership? It means that it becomes the most important thing in our lives, Period. And so there's no hidden agenda in our lives. We're no longer living our lives for ourselves. We understand that every dollar we make is for the kingdom, not just 10% of it. Did everything God gives us, he gives us so that the story of the expanding kingdom of God through the love of Jesus displayed in our lives, that it is the agenda. Begs the question to me, maybe to you too, I'm living for myself. How much of my life is lived for my, myself? How much of my life is lived for just simply taking care of my kids or, or my wife? All that stuff is secondary to pursuing Christ in, in my life. That's my, my, my chief goal every day is to know Christ and to make him known. Now, I believe that responsibility starts with my family but it extends beyond that to the culture. And I cannot live without a, with a hidden agenda in my life. You can take this a step further, guys, to say. We gotta be careful with the part of our lives that is hidden. Making sure that it's not a personal distraction, even if other people don't know about it. I mean, this isn't just a public purity. It's a private purity. Understanding the gospel means that we understand in our private lives, there's no leeway. There's no slack that we can give ourselves. There's no time off. You can't check out. There's no clock. We're on it all the time. And purity in public is secondary to purity in private. 
When we're pure in our private lives, we will be pure in our public lives. Blameless, two meanings. People who carefully avoid putting anything in another's way that would cause them to trip or fall. All kinds of scripture that you can look up on your own time about that, about putting stumbling blocks in front of other people. We must live a blameless life. But it also means, blameless means that we gotta be careful, equally careful, to avoid tripping over obstacles that may be placed in our own way. You've got to realize that when you go to work today, all the stuff I've said is true, but I'll, I'll, I'll blow up the picture a little bit more. You're at war when you go to work today. Because if you take seriously this partnership of the gospel, the enemy will place things in your path to try to trip you up. Dude, I was tired. I was tired flying to Romania last week, right into meetings all day long, every day. And uh, you know, your sleep cycle's all messed up. I was, my body was just cramping up. So going to my hotel room, I'm tired, I'm weak. I open up the, the, uh, the little guy that kind of shows what's going on in Bucharest, the capital city. And you know what falls out? Five cards of prostitutes who will come to your room and give you massage. Did I think about it? Of course I did. I didn't entertain the thought. I wasn't gonna call them. But I was tired and I was weak and the enemy dropped five cards out in front of me. Did I want a massage? Mm, yeah, I did. Probably not from the person that would come to my room, but I was, I, was, uh, I was hurting. I was needing it. And an obstacle was placed in front of me. Now that seems extreme, but you know that it happens every day of our lives as men and we've got to be careful. I'm two minutes over, so I'll finish with this card. You can look at the rest of my notes. When we live a pure and blameless lives, we're filled with righteousness and we're able to produce something for God. The question is, what are we supposed to be producing? What is this partnership about? It's about producing disciples. Your role today is to pick up with people wherever they are in the workplace and move them in a discipling relationship, telling the story in love, filled with knowledge and discernment, filled with the fruit and power of God so that you'll produce disciples. God bless you guys. Have a great week. See you.